Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Scope on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 281 on our network. Uh, before we bring Bob in, just want to thank our 50,000-plus subscribers now. Because of your support, we're now the latest streaming podcast on iHeartRadio. Uh, couldn't have done it without you. These shows are for you guys, so continue to bombard us with questions. Continue to follow these shows and give them five stars and write <coughs> comments about our hosts underneath. It helps us battle the podcast analytics, just like we have to do in baseball. 74 faithful countries right now following us. We have more countries involved with us than Brick Bob. And um, we uh, we appreciate the support across the globe here, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices here, including our very own Little League Baseball. So with that, Bob, welcome back to your show. All right, good to be back. Yeah. We got a lot, a lot of questions today. Uh, I kind of pared it down to to what's going on in the in the baseball world, and I know you've got some strong opinions as I do on the uh, you know it's hard to go go at these young kids because they haven't grown up another way. But what, what are your thoughts on our audience wants to know what your thoughts are on the Seattle Mariners pitcher George Kirby to kind of set it up. You know he he went a certain distance for his team, and they asked him to go out for the seventh after he had thrown ninety pitches and ended up blowing the game in the seventh. And not only was he not mentally ready to go out there. Uh, Physically, he wasn't ready. And then he went at his uh, his managerial staff and staff uh, in the media the next day. And it was just like a whole unraveling of things that probably I know you grew up with and you grew up coaching and I grew up playing and coaching as well with just the total opposite of how he handled all of that. So I'll let you un- unwrap that any way you want. Well, that's a definition of selfish and selfish. Uh, you can't fish, uh, fix selfishness. And, uh, you know, in the old days or the good pitchers go out there with that they're going to complete the game. And in fact, he's allowed to go out there for the extra inning. He should be happy about that instead of blaming somebody because they gave up a home run. But I wouldn't want him on my team, put it that way. Even though he apologized and everything else, you know, he's not a team player. He's looking for himself, looking for stats, which unfortunately a lot of players are because they know that's how they get paid. But the thing is, we always learn, and I always talk to my players, if you play the game right, the stats will take care of themselves. But this guy uh, is a big excuse maker. And I'd never seen him pitch. I really don't want to watch him pitch because that's one of the worst things I've heard in a long time. Yeah. It almost, it seemed like, a, uh, it almost seemed way too natural how he, he came out. And is, is that how, that's how these pitchers are being trained though right now, right? Like it's almost appalling to go beyond five innings and, um, and then mentally, physically, probably not trained to do that right now. Well, it used to be your five and dive. Maybe get a win for your head. Go six, you might get a quality start. And then seven, that's like, you know, they don't want to get into that territory again. But I see all our minor league um, stats every day. And, um, yeah, I see top to bottom, triple A all the way to A ball. And I haven't seen more than just a few guys who have pitched more than 80 pitches. We have a good organization. But the thing is, how are you going to get better if you only pitch 80 pitches at the most, maybe 90 you got to extend your arm. You have to, you know, condition your arm. The way you do it is pitch more. If you throw 120 pitches, 110 is going to be easy. But if you get an 80, 80, 80, eventually 75 becomes a chore, and 60, 70 becomes a chore, and everything else. But 
the philosophy is we don't want guys to get hurt. Well, that's good, but nobody gets better and they still get hurt. So how's that working? I yeah. mean, the old days, everybody threw like, you know, 130, 140, 170, 180 some guys. They pitched again four days later or three days later, so on a four-man rotation. I don't know why we don't learn from history. Uh, all this hocus-pocus stuff, weighted balls and heavy weights, that's killing pitchers, it's killing the game. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> human beings have endured far more over our time, if we're going to look at history, than, than having to go out there for the seventh inning, whether it's baseball, another sport, or just life. So, um, And, of course, you, uh, for our audience who knows uh, special <laughs> assistant to the Washington Nationals, I see more often than not, like the most, I think the most common stat line for pitchers is four and a third for whatever reason. Um, we can't get guys to go five, you know, with, uh, with this, with this young man right here, even though he apologized, I don't think he gets that he doesn't get it. I think it was probably the same engine in his head that told him he can't go past five innings, probably told him from a media standpoint, you have to apologize um, out there just to get your persona right. Well, you know, it used to be the pitcher, starting pitcher, a lot of pride in getting the win. Well, now the analytics, the nerves, whatever you want to call them, don't factor the win in for a starting pitcher. They don't think that means anything. Well, right. let me tell you what. Give me a guy where they can win 20 games. It's going to mean something. So now their mentality is, I'm going to go out there. Don't want to give up too many runs. So keep my earned run average down and you know, get, out, get out of the game. But, you know, some of the best pitchers in baseball – they pitched, what, what, I think Gibson had 30 complete games one year. I know it's a long time ago. The same token, I don't think it was 30 complete games, all the big leagues all together this year, last year, whatever. No. I mean, it's like, you know, your job as a starting pitch is pitch the whole game. Can't get the whole game, at least get seven innings, maybe eight, but not four and a third, four and two thirds. And I see more guys jerked out of game four and, third, two, uh, four and two thirds innings, and I'd be upset if that was me because I want to get the win. But that's how they do it now. Well, we, I think everybody would agree that we look at today's baseball player, they, they give the appearance of bigger, stronger, on the outward, anyway, bigger, stronger, more physical, faster, whatever exclamation point you want to put on it, athletes. But ironically, they can't perform the same baseball functions at the same duration as guys from, from the past. Uh, you, you had mentioned George Brett uh, before the show about – you know, his, uh, you know, these, this load management thing, which kind of falls in line with Kirby, because that's basically what he was asking for, his load management to be taken into consideration. A guy like George Brett, I know you, you, you I think you, you had mentioned communicating with him. How would he handle a day off? <laughs> he didn't want a day off. The best team in baseball is the Atlanta Braves. I don't know if I get some resistance on that, but that's what I think the best team in baseball is. You look at how many games those guys, starters play every game, just about. They don't have to have days off. The days off are created by the analytical sleep coaches or whoever. Now, how can you give a guy 22 years old? I, mean, I talked to George and he was upset because this guy at a home game, I don't know, Friday night, maybe uh, he didn't play. And it was like, because it was his scheduled day off. But now how about if you're a fan of the Royals, you bring your family to the game, three kids, your wife, probably going to cost you $300 for the tickets. going to crush it. The park and have a couple of hot dogs, but it's going to cost you another hundred dollars at least. And then you're going to buy some stuff in a concession stand. So you're in there for like $500 to go watch a game. And the guy you came to watch play is not playing. I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that's just the guy's, how old is he? He's 22, 23. But, you know, that's, you know, you got to play every day. And they never heard of Cal Ripken, I guess. But, you know, some days you don't take BP. Some days you don't do this, do that, just so you can keep playing. But number of games doesn't mean a lot to some people. 
And uh, it's all about, you know, it gets back to the analytics and stats. I mean, you know, they say home runs don't mean a lot. They say strikeouts, no, no big deal. But, you know, you try to uh, win the game. And every time, how many times you see a game in a third base, less than two outs, and the hitter strikes out. All you got to do is put the ball in play, unless it's right at somebody, you're probably going to score a run. But their thing is, they're swinging the same as they would 2-0 or 3-0 or 3-1, trying to hit a, you know, exit velocity shot or a home run or something like that, just to create their stats. And unfortunately, a lot of players are graded under exit velocity. Joey Gallo, perfect example. He has less than 200, has some home runs. But his exit velocity is right up there because when he hits it, he hits it hard. Yeah. But that doesn't win games. And unfortunately, a lot of these players don't play to win a game. They play for stats. And I can't blame them in some ways because that's how the analytics evaluate a player. And that's how they get paid. Yeah, that's it. That's that's They're being rewarded for that. It's being tolerated. And, and as, as we're saying, it's it's being held up as the greatest, you know, the greatest players in baseball. Now, Kyle Schwarber is another example, under 200, um, batting leadoff. And... Uh, 39 singles. I mean, just they're, they're redefining what yeah. I guess what used to be that traditional Ricky leadoff guy. Um, yeah. Well, again, I mean, he struck out four times last night. Didn't make contact one time. Yeah. I, lo- I love the guy. I mean, I love the way he plays, but you know, shorten up a little bit, put the ball in play and let's go. You've got to cut down the strikeouts. The strikeouts, the worst thing you can do as a hitter, but th- that doesn't count against you when you go to contract time because they say, I think Billy Bean started it. A strikeout's just an out. At least he didn't hit into a double play. But that that's like what kind of thought process is that? Yeah. No, it's uh <laughs> that may be the exception to the rule once every so often when you got the big fat guy hitting, but uh you don't want to roll one up. But anyway, there's other ways to do it. We we were talking about you mentioned Cal Ripken, uh you mentioned shorten up, put in play. So there's there's two anniversaries. One was last week, which this bothered me last week. I, I grew up a Ripken fan and we have obviously Will George on the network and roomed with Cal and the minors and um, his, the anniversary of his breaking the streak last week th- didn't make a big deal about it at all. In baseball, um, you know, they, they almost glossed it over to where unless you saw it stream across Facebook, you really didn't, it really wasn't mentioned in any park, uh, maybe outside of Baltimore. So um, we, we do, certainly don't value playing every day. Like we, like, like Ripken, Put it about, but another anniversary uh, this past week on on nine eleven, which has another uh, global anniversary here. But uh, Pete Rose breaking Ty Cobb's hit record, base it uh, opposite field shortened up, little dink and dunker into left center off Eric Shaw here. Um, you know, a guy like Pete Rose, you talk about durability. Um, that's what our audience kind of wanted to know know from you. Uh, durability, uh, you know. The, the consistency it takes to break that record. You certainly can't strike out a lot. You got to put the ball in play. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, what makes Pete Rose's accomplishment and, and the way he played the game so special and so different than the way we see it nowadays. Well, he was a baseball player, number one. He just wanted to play. No matter what, he wanted to play. I'm sure he played hurt, like Cal Ripken. I talked to Cal Ripken when I worked for the uh, Orioles. He said, many days I didn't feel good. <clears throat> My leg hurt. I just didn't run hard that day. Yeah, I ran, but I didn't, you know, overextend it. But he knew how to maintain himself good enough so he can play. And uh, Pete Rose, same way. I mean, you know, I coached with John Mayberry. And that was like, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago now. But <clears throat> John said that he didn't want to come out of lineup because if he came out of lineup, sure enough, the guy that took his spot would come up with the bases loaded and nobody out in about the fifth or sixth inning. He said, I wanted that at bat. So they, those days, they didn't take days off. I mean, that's why I don't think they, you know, made a big deal like ripping because I think the analytics are embarrassed. That this guy played so many games, and the guys now can hardly play maybe 150 out of 162 games. 
Maybe not that much. I mean, so there's a few guys, like I said, the Braves have guys that play every day. And it's just, you know, it isn't that tough to play every day if you know how to handle yourself and control what you're doing and maybe not lift weights for two or three days in a row. <clears throat> and that's wrong with lifting weights, but the heavy weights killing people. More injuries now than ever. And more pulled muscles than ever because they don't run enough. They don't throw enough. But I don't know why somebody can't figure that out, but, you know, the game is running and throwing and staying in shape and staying healthy. Like I said, to get better, you got to play a lot. In order to play a lot, you got to avoid injuries. But I think right now, I mean, P. Rose, I mean, you can see he was just a tough guy. I mean, he's not a Hall of Fame because he didn't want to admit that he's a gambler. All he had to do was admit he's a gambler, he would have gotten a Hall of Fame and go to rehab or whatever. But, you know, he thought he could beat the system. Well, he's not making out too good there. But he's no doubt he's a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Fame player because nobody could get more hits than him. Nobody hit the ball harder to all fields. He choked up. He you know, ran hard all the time, beat out infield hits. I mean, he was a supreme baseball player, and that's what I call it. I mean, some guys play baseball. Some guys are baseball players. Well, he was a baseball player. Yeah. Took pride <clears throat> in the way he wore his uniform. Uh, you know, took pride in the way even in my, my younger son emulates the, the walk. When he, when he walked, he'd sprint down the first base because he didn't want to give the pitcher any time to, to rest. He wanted to get down there and hurry and get, get with the game. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's why he was a winner. Yeah, just and that's the stat that he'll throw up, and he's phenomenal with the numbers. Uh, you know, he knows every every number. He's a savant with that stuff, but especially when it comes to him. But right. uh, he had uh, the he said, I'll tell you, he had the most wins of any player in the history of baseball one thousand nine hundred and seventy two wins. He said, Is that right? And, no. he, and we talk about winning not being important. <clears throat> Why the heck else are you playing the game? Well, that's right. As long as you got a scoreboard up there, that's what you're trying to do: get more runs than the other team. But. Yep. I don't know if the winning is that important to some people now, even some organizations. I don't know if winning is really that important. I mean, if they really wanted to win the game, they would put the ball in play with two out, or less than two outs and maybe on third base. They would you know, try to cut down a strikeout, shorten your stroke up, maybe get closer to the plate. I always say get closer to the plate and you know, swing down on the ball. But, you know, try to hit a ground ball because that keeps you in the zone longer. But I don't know. I think guys that you – know, next time you see a guy strike out, see if he gets upset. I saw a guy throw his bat the other day. Uh, but normally they strike out, okay, just walk back to the dugout and get your glove and walk out to the field. No big deal. But there is a big deal for me. Well, I think, I think that's a mentality, and that's uh, it's being lost on the generation today. In fact, I'll, 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 I hate to use my, my son as an example, but my younger son, Tanner, the first time since we started uh, our season in March, now we're now into September, so our baseball season, we have our last week, and he struck out for the first time the other day. He leads wow. off. I don't know how many at bats he's had, and he struck out looking on a curveball, um, yeah. and uh, he was upset in the dugout. Wouldn't talk to anybody. Went to the corner, put his catcher's gear back on, and <laughs> I went over and, and kind of smiled at him, kind of breaking up. So, what's that feel like to strike out? I, I don't have a lot of experience with that. You want to share it with me, Daddy? Always share experiences with you. You want to share one with me? And yeah. He kind of gave me a look, and he's like, he goes, I don't want to argue with it, but he goes, I, he goes, I've been catching all game long. I've had the guy behind the plate for two straight games here. I know the strike zone better than he does. That wasn't there. And I said, okay, <laughs> you keep that to yourself and uh, just remind him he has been hit by a pass ball on, in, uh, in in two games here. So tell me yeah. give you next time. But, but, but you know, that's why don't battle. Don't get too – but he was, he was upset when the other coaches asked what's wrong. I mean, he's pissed off. He struck out. It's it's not part of how we live life here. And uh, But it's meant to be mentality. So I was, I was glad he was pissed, uh, you know, but uh, I see that too much with, with other guys. They're pissed for a moment, but I think yeah. – have to be, but uh, but but Rose. I mean, just one last thing on Rose: four thousand two hundred fifty-six hits. I mean, you got to be healthy and play every day for and get two hundred hits for twenty seasons to get. Yeah. 
I mean, we don't get guys that get 200 hits for one season anymore. Well, no, there's too many strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, and they don't play. I know they don't play. It's a, it's 150 hits is kind of the new barrier. Just like the win total is like 10. It used to be 20, now it's 10. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, well, I hope people, those two guys we mentioned, Ripken Rose, throwbacks to the game. I love for young kids out there in the audience. <clears throat> if you don't know, don't, don't don't please don't text me or direct message me that you don't know. But look them up. See how these guys played the game, the physicality of it, showing up every day. To me, you know, Kevin Kernan asked a question at the at the end of every show that we do with Coach and Kernan. What's it mean for you to be a ball player? And you know, one of the things for me is showing up every day. That's showing right. up every day. You don't have to be a baseball player to be a ball player. God. I, I, one of I had a mailman back in the day. Oof, didn't matter if he had sprained ankles, blizzards out. He showed up every day to work at the ballpark. Um, so anyway, I, I digress. But so we get, get into some of the technical aspects of baseball here. We got, uh, you well, know, get, getting back to Pete Rose. I mean, that the fact the way he played is contagious too. His teammates would play. You know, see him playing. You know, balls out every day. They're gonna they're gonna battle themselves a little more too. So I think that's contagious, which is a good thing. Oh, I agree. I, th- I think uh, <laughs> what did Sparky Anderson say? He'd go through hell in a gasoline suit just to play a game of baseball. And uh, right. yeah, so it's a it's it's a good guy for guys to look and emulate because again, he, he played hard all the time. He played five positions, right? All start five positions. Didn't care where he played. Didn't care where he batted. Um, <laughs> that's the ultimate team player right there. It's still produced. And someone asked him, Pete Rose is you know what, what are good what good are his numbers? Well, I'd love to have a guy hit 300, 200 get 200 hits and score 100 runs every year. That's a, that's a pretty good life right there. So right. I would say anybody would take that, especially again, we talk about leadoff guys striking out too much. There's your leadoff guy right there. Put the ball yeah. in the play. Right. And well, not even want a power guy because uh, he gets up more often, which he does. You know, every position gets like 14 times more bats than another position. Another leadoff guy gets 14 more in the course of the season than a second place guy. You get 28 more than a third place guy all the way down. So they want the power guy to get up early. Yeah. And then the worst thing for me is they put the power guy up, clean up, and he strikes out all the time. Well, he ruins a lot of rallies, Ben, you know, striking out. So put that guy sixth or seventh, but put a guy that can make contact in the top four anyway, and go from there, you're going to score a lot of runs. Oh, I agree. I like the I like the old way of doing it. You get your, <clears throat> your speed guy at the top who gets on. You got the one of your best bat handlers hitting in the two hole, your best overall hitter hitting three, power guy four. Nice. Uh, you know, that's uh, again. I, I I still haven't gotten used to the new way they they do. It's almost like gym class the way they do the lineups. Yeah. The biggest. Well, I saw a team. Uh, they won a better teams in baseball, but a couple years ago, they went to three games, and one guy batted leadoff first game, batted clean up the second game, batted ninth the next game. It was all because of matchups. I mean, yeah, you need a little uh, continuity in your batting order, I think. And to do that and bounce a guy around like that, it just shows you're trying to get tricky, trying to outsmart the other team, and. You say the opener is for pitches, the opener. I mean, yeah, you can't find five pitches that can start and possibly go five, six innings. I mean, baseball's got a problem, big problem. Yeah, overcomplicating it. Um, <clears throat> and that, uh, that that crazy lineup you just mentioned, first to fifth to ninth, it sounds almost like they just randomly put it into a computer and just whatever it spit out, it spit out. No, no doubt about it. So, but, uh, so we got, we have, uh, start some technical questions here by the audience. Again, I know we're not a visual show or audio, but you do a good job of painting a picture. <laughs> I had a dad asked me a question. He goes, I, I spent $400 on a baseball glove and, uh, you know, my, my son's trying to bear handballs out there. Um, if he's going to do that, could, could you, could you ask Bob to, to explain when it's proper to do, do a bear hand, how you do the bear hand? And then kind of jokingly why I got to spend $400 on a glove. I think that's a him problem, not a you problem. Well, 
Bare hand, I think too many guys try to barehand it when they should feel it with a glove. A bare hand is a do-or-die play. You know, a lot of times it's spin on the ball, so it's tough to really grab the ball without, you know, bobbling it. So, you know, a third baseman coming in, a slow chopper, you may have to barehand it if it's, you know, not very hit hard, very hard. But too many times a barehanded ball is hit too hard, which has more spin, and they, they can't make a play. So barehand is a do-or-die play. But I still can see a guy catch it, you know, charging the ball, catch it with the glove hand. And then, you know, transfer it to the throwing hand and throw. But it's it's an individual thing. I mean, I've seen guys bare shortstop barehand balls that hit to the right in a big hop. They barehand and throw to first. But again, I don't think it's a whole lot quicker because you still have to bring the ball to the middle of your body to make an accurate, strong throw. So to barehand it and just try to flip it over there from, you know, say you catch it over your right shoulder and try to throw it from there, it's not going to be any quicker. And I think it's more of a showman thing than it is a practical thing. Yeah. You see, I guess, uh, like you said, it's a do or die, usually a slow roller. Um, not, not quite a bunt, but, uh, something like that. Is there a certain hand position? Cause I, I was taught one way. I mean, I, I didn't really bare hand. I had a dad too. Same thing. I bought you a glove, use a glove, whatever right. guy believe in, he gave you two hands, use two hands. Right. And, and if you're, if you're getting in the ball so slow, you got to use one hand, get there quicker was, uh, was the adage I got, but if you're going to have to go bare hand, I got showed one time to make a circle, which I couldn't do is to with my thumb and my, my pointer finger. So the ball didn't roll off to the inside. Uh, I found that to be way too technical for me. So you're almost fielding it with your three, your middle, your ring and your pinky and towards that little circle. But I just, you know, the, the few times I did bare hand, I grabbed that whole hand and, and went with it. But any, any special technique with the hand? Well, I think just your hands could be open, you know, facing, the ball, not sideways, just open facing the ball, just catch it first, and then re re grip it, get the seam, and come up to your chest, excuse me, come up to your chest and throw. But uh, again, it's an individual thing. I mean, you catch it as your right foot's on the ground, you take a step with your left foot and throw off your right foot. So it's like, you know, one continuous motion. But uh, like I said, I think it's overused by some guys, and I think that uh, you're better off using your glove so you know you secure it and throw. And if it's a slow roller, you know, it's a tough play anyway. So I don't know if the technique, bare hand is going to be a whole lot better than catching with your glove, but some guys can do it. Some guys can't do it. So if you can do it, it might be worth your while. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like that. I like that. <clears throat> the, uh, as you're fielding it, right foot down, and then step through with your left. That's uh, That minimizes the, the motion, so maybe right. minimizes the margin for error as well. So, you still have to throw off your right foot. So you still catch with your right foot down, step your left, and throw off your right foot. Right. No, I like that. And so the dad that asked that question, that's that's the technique that, that Bob would recommend. And I'd also recommend not spending $400 on a 12-year-old's glove. Get him a, <laughs> a little yeah, right. one. But, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have some new fingers in case it doesn't work right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Or if you're going to spend $400, make sure he's fielding with that glove. So yeah. uh, so with uh, if you want to move on from that, we got a question about the uh, – the attributes of a catcher. Um, you know, everybody, when they're younger kids, you know, they tend to put the bigger kid behind the plate, um, you know, or the kid with the strongest arm. And there's so much more to catching than that. And, you know, and I've used my son Tanner as an example. He's, I don't know how big he is, probably five foot six. He probably weighs a hundred and maybe 115 pounds. So flat right now, but um, certainly not the biggest kid on the field, especially since he's playing up a couple age groups. But um What's, what are some of the attributes as a catcher as you're evaluating catchers, even at the pro level? What are you looking for? What do guys that, you know, make it, uh, exhibit to their teammates? And, and you know, as a, as a finished product, what do you want? 
Well, to me, the most important thing is can he call a game? And he has had a confidence of the pitcher that what he puts down is the right right pitch. I mean, a pitcher to make a quality pitch is better got to be convinced that it'll get the hitter out. But if you're just if you see the pitcher shaking the catcher off a lot, you got problems. I mean, most good catchers in the big leagues are all good catchers. They'll do a lot of pre uh, pre game studying. They'll study all the hitters. Then they'll put that in, in their, like uh, into their back of the head and then factor in what the pitcher's best pitches are and how he can do certain things. So it's a formula between what the hitter can hit and what the pitcher can pitch. And you always go with the pitcher's best pitch rather than, than a hitter's weakness. But the confidence that the catcher can show or have from a pitcher is the most important thing. So calling a game is the most important thing. And that's why it usually takes a catcher longer to get to the big leagues because that's not easy to do. I mean, I saw a catcher in A-ball, and he's in the big leagues now with the Yankees. And I saw him at Tampa, and I looked at watched him catch. He looked in the dugout every pitch, and the pitching coach is calling every pitch, you know, fastball, slider, whatever. And I'm saying, how's a guy going to learn that way? I mean, there's nothing wrong with second-guessing him. When he comes in the dugout, I said, why would you throw that breaking ball on a 2-0 count? Now, if you had a reason to do it, you can't can't argue it. But if he, if he just looks at, you, looks at you like I did, then he's not concentrating. He's not, you know, being any good calling a game. But a good coach, pitching coach, manager – or teach a catcher how to call a game and why you want to call this pitch in this situation and so forth. Factoring in what the pitcher's best pitch is, his command and all that kind of stuff. So taking charge, having a pitcher's confidence. I mean, Jason Veritek was probably one of the best at that. We had him when I was running my list for Red Sox. We got him in a trade. He just became a, a very smart catcher. And the next thing you want to do is have a catcher that can block a ball. You want catchers, you know, agile enough so they can block a ball, keep the ball in front of them, you know, square off so – when it hits the chest protector, it goes straight forward, not off to the right. But if you have a catcher that the pitchers have confidence that he can block the ball, they're not afraid to throw any pitch in any count. But if a catcher can't block the ball, he's not going to throw a breaking ball, you know, when the guy's runners around base. So even sometimes two strikes, it gets by the catcher, the guy's going to make first base. So, you know, calling a game, blocking the ball, the next thing is throwing runners out. <clears throat> I mean, right about now, I mean, there's so many catchers, that first of all, the pitchers are doing a lousy job holding runners on, I think, even though it's easier stealing on because you can't throw it at first. But a lot more pitchers are slower to the plate, I think, than they have been in the past. So the catchers, some have no chance at all. But the ability to throw runners out, or more so than that, is to keep a runner from stealing. Guys who can steal bases are still going to steal bases. But you don't want a guy who's not a stolen base guy to steal a base. So you have to have a good enough arm that you're going to shut that down. And the last thing, just, well, I don't even put it the last thing. To me, this pitch framing, to me, I don't know who come up with that. I don't know why they think it's good. I think it's just a farce. It's made up by some analytical guy. They'll say, this guy is a good pitch framer. Well, a few years ago, we got a guy that was the best pitch framer in the game. He was a backup catcher. After that year, he went to the middle of the pack. I mean, you, to me, umpires don't call it where you snap it, snap it in. They call it where it goes over the plate or it doesn't go over the plate. And they're not watching a catcher where he j- drags it in. Now, a bad catcher will take a strike into a ball because he'll drag it out of the strike zone. Make the umpire look bad if you call it a strike. But the, you know, this thing getting down on one knee, it makes you tougher to throw, makes you tougher to block balls. I think that's the worst thing that ever happened to catchers. It might be easier for them in some ways, but I've seen more balls get by the catcher. Wild pitches are called, or you know, they're not really called pass balls, but they are. And so therefore, the runners are taking extra ninety feet, and that, that's bad. But again. I talked to umpires, big league umpires. They said, no, I call it, you know, they, they can jerk it all they want. 
I know when Ken Kaiser umpired, he took charge back there. And he was a really good ball strike umpire. He took criticism. It would be a little like a days ago, but he was a great ball strike umpire. <clears throat> but if you jerked it in on Ken Kaiser, he'd probably slap you in the side of the head, maybe knock you into the dugout because you're showing him up. And I just don't see how pulling it in, he's going to get a strike. And if the umpire does call it, be pulled in, he's not a good umpire. So I think that pitch framing stat, like I said, I don't know how a guy can go, but the best pitch framer in the game one year and back in the middle of the pack the next year. You know, strikes are called, you know, it depends on the pitcher, the hitter, the umpire, and the catcher. And the catcher's the last one. The pitcher can paint the outside corner. It's going to look like he stole it as long as he doesn't take it out of, out of his zone. Uh, some umpires have a little bigger zone. Not too many because they're all programmed like robots now. And then some hitters will swing out of his zone or take take a lot of pitches at a borderline. So it looks like the catcher's, you know, framing a pitch. So anyway, thing is for the catcher, have trusted a pitcher, uh, block balls, be able to throw runners out. Yeah, no, I like that. And that's sad that the calling <laughs> game is being away from the catchers now with the catch com and, and um, college level, you know, kids are calling, kids aren't calling games. And even at the youth level, we had Jim Rooney uh, on his show, uh, Toe the Rubber, last week. He was at a youth game for, with his son, and he said there was a 10-year-old team using pitch com during a game. <laughs> and and the, the coach's excuse was he was tired of teams stealing his signals. And yeah. uh, we, we you, know, you, don't, you don't even have a comeback for that. It's the most, it's one of the most asinine things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Well, I hear that on TV. It's stealing signs. I coached 12 years in the big leagues. So I'll tell you what, I never heard one player say I got their signs from second base. Because oh. first of all, you're not there long enough to decode them. I mean, they all say, you know, second sign or, you know, my gloves on my, my, uh, on my knees, the first sign, or I mean, there's a lot of things you can decode them. But to have a how long? How long is a runner on second base? And a lot of times, when I play short, if I saw the guy looking, I dart him back, and he get back, and now now you can't watch the signs. But I just think that's you know, I mean, the catcher will give it away because he'll sneak up on the batter on a breaking ball a lot of times. And I saw a catcher with Red Sox do that. And I call almost every pitch. I call it a breaking ball or a fastball because after you get the sign, he snuck forward to catch the breaking ball. If he didn't sneak forward, is a is a fastball, but. You can, you can get them that way, but you're not going to get them from put down fingers, I don't think. Yeah. Well, coming <clears throat> from a 10-year-old group, I, I laugh because, you know, I'm, I'm helping out youth baseball right now at, at different levels, and I throw a batting practice every day, and, and they know what's coming. 60 right. miles an hour straight ball coming somewhere around those 17 inches, and they still can't hit the darn ball sometimes. So it's well to think that not only could they identify something, but also – and how many pitches does a 10-year-old have? What do they have? striking ball right i mean yeah but uh well anyway i, I digress there again but yeah, when, many times I'll, I'll take a pitcher that's have a little trouble throwing strikes i'll say come here let's go i'm gonna watch batting practice so we'll get behind a cage and i say okay the hitter knows what's coming same speed and probably it's going to be a strike for sure okay let's see how many hits that he hits is going to be a base hit and at the most you get four out of ten maybe five out of ten but they'll pop it up they'll hit a ground ball at somebody so, I mean, I just don't just throw the ball over plate and take your chances. But you What's start walking, guys. And one thing bad, bad about a walk is I don't need a walk itself, but to walk somebody, you're going to go to a 3-1 count, you're going to go 2-0 count, which are great hitting counts. And that's what the ramification of a walk is. Before the walk, you're going to lay a ball in there and the guy's going to whack it. So get ahead, like we talked about last week, I think, you know, best pitch is strike one. Then you expand the zone after that. Yeah. And that's a, it's another good point, maybe – that's why pitchers should throw batting practice nowadays because they can get rid of that phobia of pitching to contact. I agree 100%. They should throw batting practice. You get their touch, 
it just shows once in a while change speeds and show that, you know, how effective that is to a hitter. And if I ever did it again, I'm not because between you and I just retired the other day. Oh. I've had enough. So I'm done. But I mean, uh, you know, they laid off a bunch of scouts and I knew I was probably on that list. So I said, okay, before you'd lay me off or not renew my contract, I'm going to retire. I've had a great career, but it's just hard for me to go to games anymore. And I'm not traveling to the big cities because I don't want to get shot. And uh, I just, you know, I used to love to go to Chicago, New York and everything. But to me, that's too dangerous. And I just don't enjoy the game like I did before. Yeah. No, I don't blame you not wanting to go to those cities. <laughs> we have audience members there. Stay safe. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, insanity run amok yeah. in those cities. Well, we're on, we're on the pitcher right now and the catcher relationship. Uh, one of the audience members wanted to know, and we don't have to do all of them, but just some some patterns that pitchers should look to get into uh, the one, the one example I think I gave, um, you know, if you're, if you're uh, you throw a fastball and the guys behind it, don't speed as bad up with, with a breaking pitch or something soft or off speed or the one, my favorite one, which as a hitter, I laughed at all the time where, you know, when you, when you, when you're fouling a ball straight back and everybody says you're on it, you're really not, um, you're not on it at all. And then what I tell our, what I tell our catchers is, Hey, when someone fouls a straight back, just raise it a little bit. Just give me that same pitch, just a little bit higher, and right. uh, we got them. So, uh, some some pitch patterns or some things that pitchers can look into that 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 you've seen be successful. I know they're not all cookie cutter, but just just some examples of that for kids. Well, I think a pattern for pitchers just follow the last swing. Just take take a look at the last swing. Now, with this launch angle thing that's destroying a lot of hitters, if you see a guy swinging up, well, he's gonna have trouble get, catching up the good fastball up top. But the, then you get, you know, then you, the whole thing about pitching is changing speeds, location, movement, and velocities last for me. But changing speeds is the most important thing. Um, the location is probably the second most important, well, probably number, number one, but then change of speeds, but then movement. So if you have great movement, you don't have to change speeds as much. Like you get a hard sinker, you can just say, here it comes, try to hit it, and it hit the top of the ball, and I hit a ground ball somewhere. But velocity, you know, unless you throw over 100, which some guys do now, it's tough to square that up, no doubt about it. But those guys who throw that hard, sometimes, first of all, they break down, and second of all, they get behind the counter all the time. But the pitchers, you know, when I evaluate pitchers scouting, I look at two things, walks and home runs, and especially relievers. If I see a reliever that doesn't walk many guys, doesn't give many home runs, I don't care how hard he throws or whatever, he's going to help you win because he's going to get quick outs, he's going to keep the ball in the, in the park, and he gets back to the same thing, like, Home runs are good. They're overrated, I think, in a lot of ways. The guy hits 40 home runs, 20 probably don't mean a whole lot as far as winning a game. It's probably the game's already out of control, but home runs are good. But the thing is, you know, you got to uh, control the inning. You can't give up big innings. So you get the pitcher, bases loaded, nobody out. You go out to the mound. First thing you say, look, don't worry about the guy in third. Let him score, but don't let the guy in second or first score. So just get ahead of this guy. Try to get a ground ball or try to get a quick out somewhere. But don't try to nibble and then walk a guy. Now you get the base load again with a one run in. So just it's preventive pitching, so to say. And, and you know, it's going to happen. You can get the base loaded sometime. But the guy that tries to pitch out of it without giving any runs is the guy that caused the beginning. And conversely, when you're offensively, you got to try to get the beginning. So it's just – and I think there's a stat that shows the team that scores – the team that wins will score more runs in one inning than the team that loses in a whole game. Now, I, I went through a few box scores the other day, and it's it's – it was accurate to a certain extent, but it wasn't that accurate. But again, the beginning will kill you defensively. You got to be, you know, sound defensively to avoid the beginning. Don't give mixed routes and so forth. But pitching wise, <clears throat> I think, like I said, 
A lot of the time I had a good pitching coach that just followed the last swing. If he's late on a fastball, throw another fastball. Another thing I've seen many times in the big leagues is that in the first hitter, you throw a fastball, strike one. Then you throw a slider, maybe strike two. Then he comes a curveball. Just keep throwing a fastball. He shows you can hit it. I mean, I don't know why you got to show him all your pitches. Right. He's got to earn but the rest of all those pitches. I know. But that's how they do it now. And it's like, I remember when I was coaching in Kansas City, Buddy Bell was a manager. And uh, he, he had to miss a game. He had to go. His, uh, he got, had a death in the family. So I'm managing. We're playing Seattle. <clears throat> and that's where uh, Hernandez uh he was just a rookie then. It's his second big league game, I think. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, he's a great pitcher, you know, for a long time. But this is like in probably 2004, no, 2005, I guess it was. Anyway, he's pitching, rookie, throwing, throwing good. He's got his own fastball, slider, occasional changeup. All of a sudden, we start hitting him. <clears throat> we didn't get anything off in the first four or five innings. All of a sudden, we started getting a couple of hits together. Now here comes the curveball. We didn't know he had a curveball. He held it back until he really needed it. And right then it showed me this guy knew how to pitch. Felix Hernandez, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. But he knew how to pitch, but he didn't expose everything he had right away. He didn't show him all his pitches until he needed to, to put away pitch. So that's what you got to do as a pitcher. I mean, move the fastball around, make show that, you know, let them show you they can hit it, and then you can start changing speeds and use the rest of your pitches. <clears throat> no, I, I, I like that. I, I... You know, we, we have a rule on our, our group. Again, I'm dealing with not, I'm not at the college level anymore. I'm coaching younger kids. And before we're allowed to throw other pitches, they've got to produce in the bullpen with no batter, no pressure, no, no anything where they can throw strikes nine out of 10 times with a pitch. And then once they do the whole plate, 17 inches, and we cut the plate in half, they right. hit each half nine out of 10 times. And we split it up into the four quadrants, up and in, low and in, low and away, up and away. When they can do that, then they can use that pitch. And we do that with all the pitches to make sure. One of our pitchers grabbed me at, in the middle of an inning the other day. Third inning was thrown really well. And my younger son, Tanner, was catching. He goes, every time I shake Tanner off on the fastball, he puts the fastball back down. And that's that's good. I said, I'll, I'll let you have that conversation with him. But if you see him get up and start taking his helmet off him out to the mound, just wave him back. Tell him you understand because you don't want him out there. And yeah. uh, so he's, uh, he explained to him real simply. Like you said, they're not hitting your fastball. So why do we want to show them anything this early? And number two, you can't locate your other pitches. So there's no point in, in giving away a pitch right now if you're not locating your other pitches. So real simple, common sense, right? That's right. It. I mean, I, I would wish that you get, say you get four pitchers and say, okay, we're going to have a contest. We're going to see how many strikes you can throw in a row. So get pitcher A, see how many you can throw in a row. I mean, depends on what level you're at. But even I think at the big league level, you might get six or seven in a row and all sense of ball. I mean, pitchers are different. Everyone's different, of course. But to me, just stress throwing fastball strikes and then go from there. But if you get behind with a fastball, now a breaking ball is tougher to get over because of a break. Although some guys control that better than do with fastball at times. But, you know, just establish your fastball and work off of that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then every now and then, uh, in fact, that young man, he, he, he did okay getting his breaking pitch over. But um, he, we, we threw it with an 0-2 count. Uh, late in the game because uh, we knew he wouldn't get it over. He'd bury it without trying. And, uh, and that's, I said, why'd you call that pitch? And he goes, I knew he was, I knew he was going to bury it. And I wasn't worried about blocking it. I was going to keep it in front of him. He knows that. And it worked out well. So it was a good teaching point for, for yeah. kids in that regard. Well, we got the last well, question here. Well, oh, no, one thing about pitching, no matter what level you're at, your job is to make a pitcher better. 
I'm watching these Florida State League games, and I see all, a lot of sliders, more sliders than fastballs. And I talked to one of the radio guys. I said, what's the deal with all these sliders? He said, well, the pitching coach says you get a better chance to get a hitter out with a slider than do a fastball. So I said, okay, that sounds good, but, you know, you're not making a pitcher any better. Now he goes to the next level. They don't swing at that breaking ball in the dirt. So now you've got 2-0, what are you going to throw then? But the thing is, you got to establish your fastball, and you get moving around the strike zone, and then you work off of that. There's no doubt a slider – curveball might be a little tougher to hit, but you can't just keep throwing slider, slider, slider because, first of all, your command is not going to be as good. Second of all, they're going to start sitting on it, especially the higher up you go in baseball, and now you're dead. What are you going to do now? You can't throw a slider. If you can't throw a 2-0, what are you going to do? Yeah. So make them better. Teach them how to get better. Teach them how to get a little more command. Teach them how to get a little more uh, stamina and so forth. Well, I think the, the point that you're making really well is and with all the topics today is you know, everybody tries to get super tricky and tries to beat the system rather than just putting their head down and doing that same old boring winner every day because that's what gets the job done. Right. Um, also, well, we uh, not not to pick on our pitchers today, but we're trying to help them out. But the, the pitchers, the, the last question we had today was about the pitcher's role on the field and, and the two part. One would be nobody on base. Obviously, anything hit right side um, would, would be kind of a cue. And then second one is runner on second base. What's their their uh responsibilities. And I'm going to throw a third one in because I get on our pitchers about this. What's their responsibility with the catcher, uh, ball in the dirt, pop up, things like that. What kind of demands would we have on a pitcher in terms of just communication with their buddy back there behind the dish? So we, you can start whichever one of those you want. Well, first of all, every player in the field has a job to do as soon as the ball's hit and even a pitcher. I mean, nobody on ball to the right side, you got to take off for first base. You can always stop, but you can't st- you know, look at it and see if I have to be there or not. You just got to go and then stop if you're not going to be involved in a play, you know, first base and fields and you can do it unassisted and just stop. But too many pitches I've seen, even in the big leagues, they're late getting to first base and it becomes a hit because that's what it is. Should be an error, but it's not as a hit because they don't anticipate or, you know, once it's hit, I mean, catchers usually yell, get over, get over, get over. But you shouldn't have to have the catcher tell you what to do. You should tell yourself once the ball's hit to the right side, you take off and then, like I said, stop short. Now, the other one you talked about was uh, – what was the other one you said? Runner on second, so it's a potential play at the plate. Uh, right. Third, you know, based on whether it's a fly ball or a uh, – right. Well, runner on second, uh, you got to back up home plate because, you know, you want the ball to be thrown home. And uh, you just got to go and get as deep as you can. When you back up, your job is to keep the ball in play. It's not to, you know, catch and throw the runner out because that's not going to happen. But you just want to keep the ball in play. And with a man on second and a base hit to the outfield, if you keep the ball in play, the guy to hit the ball might not get the third. He might get the second because he's going to follow the throw and he's going to keep going once he sees the ball coming home. Now, first and second, with a base hit to the outfield, the pitcher's got to go between third and home. And then he, once he gets in that area, he's got to see which way the throw's going and go that way. He's going to go to third, back up third. He's going to go home, back up home. But like I said, the biggest thing about backing up is you got to get as close to that out of bounds fence or line, line, you know, amateur ball might be a, you know, chalk line. Get as close, excuse me, get as close to it as you can so you can keep the ball in play. But again, if you sitting there and, you know, a lot of times they get upset because they get a base in and they forget about backing up. Well, you got a job to do. Once that ball's in the outfield, your job to do, your job's to go back up and just get there. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of the cues we use um, that I like the point of keeping the ball in play. We tell them to put their butt against the barrier, wherever it is, and that way everything is in front of them, 
right. moving that ball toward the action with it. But you know, we, we had that happen. Again, we, we work on that every day with our right. pitchers and the, the shell shock or, you know, not being able to move on from giving up a hit, as you described, um, they'll stand right in the middle of the diamond. And I'm lucky I've got a, uh, I've got an angry Italian catcher behind the dish. So he gets on those pitchers. <laughs> a lot of times the pitcher thinks he's a cutoff man. He's not the cutoff man. He's a backup man. No, but again, you gotta, you gotta react right away and you gotta sprint to that spot. You can't just dilly dally there and say, Oh, it's going to be a good throw. No, it might not be a good throw. Yeah. But little things like that, you know, they, that, again, avoiding beginnings. I mean, just by backing up, you might keep that batter runner from taking an extra base. Now the, the, the third one, and we're, we're coming up on time here. It's a good way to to close on it. But so we uh, pitcher catcher communication, or even corners, I guess, should be getting involved with this too because they're close to the action. Ball in the dirt with a catcher where they're blocking, or a pop up with the catcher. What kind of communication system do you have, or did you have with with those positions with the catcher to let them know where the ball is? Well, a lot of times when the catcher blocks the ball, somebody loses the ball, or <clears throat> well, that's where the pitcher's got to you know yell at them it's over there, over there, over there. Or maybe he might be able to get it. If the, if the pitcher is on his toes, he might be able to go and get that black ball before the catching and re- recover and get there. But communication is a big thing. And a lot of times the catcher can find it right away. And then the, the pitcher's got to direct traffic, so to speak. You know, there he goes, there he goes, or whatever. But on a little pop-up, I always said a catcher should never catch a pop-up in fair territory. <clears throat> if it's high enough, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's high enough, the first baseman or third baseman will probably come in and catch it. And if they can't get there, there's nothing wrong with a pitcher catching. Just go in there and just can't call it. The pitcher should call the catcher off, unless it's really a high pop up. But if it's that high, then the first base and the third base are going to call the catcher off. But you know, when a pop up comes up, it goes up and it comes back toward the infield. And a lot of times the catcher doesn't get out there deep enough, and you know he should get out far enough toward the mound so he can catch the ball on the way back toward home plate, yeah. not going backwards and, and so forth. But the catcher's glove is a tough glove to catch a pop-up with. A lot tougher than a first baseman, third baseman, or a pitcher's glove. So that should never have. Those balls should never fall in there. But, again, there's nothing wrong with a pitcher calling a pop-up. Yeah. And, again, that's a misnomer that these kids have, too, nowadays, where they've been ingrained in their heads like the one-knee catching, uh, the launch angle, where pitchers cannot be fielders. Now, again, we have Jim Cott as, you know, one of our co-hosts on Cott's Corner. And here's a guy who won, uh, you know, a ridiculous number of gold gloves right. and think that a pitcher can't be a fielder. What the heck are you doing out there? If yeah. Right. There's other guys that you want touching at first, but uh, you can't be a reluctant participant out there in the baseball field. A lot of times two outs, the first baseman, third baseman playing way back. They might not be able to get a, get to a pop-up. Especially, yeah. No, not a very high one, but, but just call it and tell, like I said, I mean, you got the mound you got to get involved with, but if usually those balls are in front of the mound, so you're not going to trip over the mound. Because behind the mound in a first baseman, third baseman, in a shortstop or second baseman is going to get that pop up. But again, you got to just you know say I got it, I got it. And if somebody calls you off, get out of the way. But uh, you know, like getting back to the pop up priority, the pitcher really should not call it. Just catch it unless somebody else calls it. Yeah, no, it's uh, similar to the infield going out to the outfield. The infielder just go get it. Outfield right. calls it. And then one one point I want to make to the pitchers, and I had this conversation. It was actually comical because it took him a second to get it, but a uh, different pitcher I'm talking about now. But I told him when, when we're pointing at it, you know, if, a, if there's a ball in the dirt and it was one of those, you know, just way off the plate and the catcher, you got to identify it for him. Please don't yell left or right because your left is his right and your right. right. Is his left. And now it becomes confusing. Just I'd say, give him a verbal and a visual. That's always my point. And go there, there, there. Um, right. Run run. Toward it. 
run at them like he stole your milk money. Just there, there, there. Of course, they don't right. get the euphemism either because they don't carry milk money anymore. But <laughs> you live and you learn here. So, but um, yeah, no, we, we appreciate the audience participation in this show. We want more of it. Um, I think we we get good ones every week, but we got to we challenged them last week, Bob. So they delivered. So I challenge you guys. Good. Make sure you you uh, take advantage of the the knowledge we have here with newly retired Bob Schaefer, um, which means um, he's got more time to answer your questions. So. Make sure you load us up next week. And uh, Bob, anything you want to leave the audience with today? Well, I just think the replay is out of control. I mean, they're replaying everything. Anything close play to replaying it. And it takes time even to you know check it and then all of a sudden say, we don't want to replay it. But I had a buddy that watched the game the other day, and he's telling me that uh, there was a routine ground ball to the shortstop. Picked it up, through the first. It was a 5 nothing game, probably the seventh, maybe eighth inning. 5 nothing. All of a sudden, the manager comes out of the dugout, and he's going to want to replay and nobody can figure out what the hell he's replaying. It was, it was out at first by, you know, three steps, maybe more. So he's coming out. He wants a replay. So the players huddle up. And the replay was that the shortstop had his heels on the grass before the ball was hit. Oh. And, and so, I mean, it's like, you, it's picky on. I mean, are you kidding me? you got to be embarrassed to replay that, I think. If it's a one nothing game, maybe. But, you know, 5 nothing game, are you going to challenge that? Well, of course – of course, he won the challenge, so I think it became a ball. I forgot the rules, but I think it just becomes a ball now, and the guy's you know, hitting again. But, I mean, it's just so far out of control. I mean, it's taken too long to replay a lot of these plays. And just let the umpires umpire. But, you know, again, Manfred put this in because he want to take advantage of all the technology. In some ways, it's good, but some ways it's really bad, and it's really slowly game down. And, you know, let the umpires umpire. I mean, if the umpires ever replayed a base running mistake – or sliding, you know, bad slide. I mean, how, how would the game look then? Because players screw up a lot more than the umpires do. So I, I just think, you know, make the umpires better. But right now I think a lot of lackadaisical because they know they can't screw the game up because they call, you know, play wrong. They just replay it and they correct it and he's off the hook. Yeah. Well, it's the irony of the game right now. Load management has caused more injuries. Uh, better guys supposedly in better shape has caused uh, – players that can't play 162 games now. And then the speed up rules, uh, you know, we want to speed the game up, but the replay slows it back down. So um, right. quite a little conundrum that they've got themselves in. So maybe they should just leave it alone. It was all right before. So right. Uh, no, great, great show today, Bob. I, I hope the questions got you, got you rolling. And I know the audience appreciates you. You give them your knowledge and I do as well. And We've got uh, episode 281 here. Touch them all with Bob Schaefer. We want to thank 50,000 plus subscribers now. The newest podcast um, network on iHeartRadio podcast. So thank you for that. Make sure you go on, touch them all. Give Bob five stars today. Write some nice comments under there. And please flood us back with questions for next week. Anything you see in your games, we know games are being played nonstop. And there's more baseball being played now with younger kids than ever. Um, or you see stuff on TV. Shoot us those questions. We don't care how uh, big or small it is. We'll, we'll answer it for you. Um, 74 countries now faithful, helping us battle the podcast, world analytics, just like doing baseball and uh, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. We got everybody here, Bob. Thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate you and what you do for the network here. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, I enjoy it. Um, I'm retired, but still bringing, we're going to watch a lot of games. <clears throat> I'm glad Mike Grizzle signed another contract because to me, he's probably the best general manager in baseball. And I'm glad the ownership showed faith in him because he's a baseball guy. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt that that's uh, organization and their young talents moving in the right direction. So look forward to that. And congratulations on your, your week off, I guess your first week of being retired, but I, you and I both know you're not retired. 
No, it's not officially October 31st, but, oh. but I, just, I just had enough. It's just time for me to, you know, turn over the, the page, I guess. Well, that mean you and I can talk more than now. Right. Good. You don't sound too excited about that. Well, no, yeah, we talked about it. I mean, I don't <laughs> think they're going to bring me back anyway, so it's not a big deal. I mean, not that I want to. I just told them they laid a bunch of scouts off, which is I saw that bad, really too bad because they had some great scouts, but uh, you know they're going to use the analytical guys more often for scouting big league stuff. I understand. I don't know, but uh, it's just the game has gone to hell in a lot of ways. They're cutting out, you know, man fed cut out teams a couple of years ago. They don't realize the ramifications that's going to cause. You know, take 25, 30 jobs away from young kids, plus, you know, support cast, uh, coaches, managers. I mean, it's just, it's not right. And we should add teams, not subtract teams. But that's how Manfred is designed to do this game. I mean, some of the rules, like three-hitter minimum, that's stupid. Uh, not throwing four balls to when you walk a guy intentionally, that's stupid. I mean, you know, the best thing they did is make the pitchers pitch, keep the game moving. But get back to real baseball. You know, the man on second base with extra innings, that's just to save pitchers, as far as I'm concerned. But that's like slow pitch softball. So it's too bad, but that's what's happened to the game. Yeah, why well, I, I say always that it's the only business model in the world where they decided to reduce the entry point when they're trying to grow the game. That's like the total opposite. Of most you know. So, but um, but with that, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to some more questions next week from our audience. Um, I know there's a couple coming in right now about the position players pitching, so I'll let you get on that next week. But it'll give you something to think about this week and but want to thank you for touching them all another great episode episode 281 on real voices of the game have a great week guys